0: <laughs> right. Connecting, connected, music coming, show ahead, stay tuned. said here we go again here we go again the friday edition this time uh october 27th the friday before the tuesday of the devil's night clearly deeply in the devil's month and that's the kind of thing we talk about is uh brent refers to him as old scratch i think that's pretty good uh roger sales and i think brent winners this morning my friday co-host for what turns Maybe out to not be... Yet. Not yet. Well, he'll pop up in a minute. Many, many years now, and uh, we keep going back to the well and getting out pails of good, fresh, clean water. We'll probably do that again yeah. today is my... Uh, my assessment. Sorry, you know, I've learned over the years it's damn hard to do a bad show with Brent Winters on board. So it's always a pleasure. Mm-hmm. And uh let's see, it's I think I said it's the twenty seventh, right? Roger Sales is my name. Brent Winters can tell you his name when he gets on board with us. I know we exchanged a message this morning. He's probably looking for a hot spot or something. Uh Radio Ranch is the name of our little two hour get together here. And uh we're on a number of different platforms, and the keeper of the platforms is one Paul Beener, who occasionally attempts be. he occasionally attempts to impersonate Robin Williams. But that's just occasionally. Go ahead, Paul.
1: Oh no, I impersonate all kinds of people. You just haven't you just haven't, caught, I haven't like, gotten I them.
0: haven't gotten the full repertoire yet, right? <laughs>
1: No, you've not gotten okay. the full the full expense uh, okay. of my catalogue and library. Okay. So uh another catalog and library that we're talking about is eurofolkradio.com. That's our flagship station. And uh and I was listening to uh, I was listening to an archive from Eurofocus. it's just a little teeny 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 bit choppy. And um we've got to check that out later. Uh global that uh that link is radio.globalvoiceradio.net. And we're also on Homenetwork.tv. We're on freedomnation.tv. We're also on one oh six point nine WBOU the pulse of Chicago. Uh, We're also on Go Live TV and coming soon, Stream Life. Uh, We're actually working on setting up a 24-7 channel on Stream Life that will be all things, all things patriotic and Roger Sales and Radio Ranch. We're going to have the live show during the live show time, and we're going to have archives playing 24-7. Yikes going to be fun it's kind of scary yeah there's, yeah. there's going to be there's going to be roger right. like you can't imagine
0: well i'll I'm tell you old it's old kind of, of changed a lot since the old days when we've had about five listeners or so uh things are growing and uh it's encouraging i hope the timing isn't lost uh, of course that's our perspective and many years ago i stuck this in the big guy's hands so it's not my timetable anymore it's his uh when that's ready if it's ready if it's going to have an impact all those things uh remain to be seen but we are mandated and are duty bound uh, to come on 6 days a week and try and reach out to folks that are waking up and looking for answers looking for freedom and wanting sanity if you fit in that category you found the right place uh did yeah, a nice show there's, yesterday there's all kinds. yeah did a nice show yesterday i was kind uh uh dan who's one of our listeners from pittsburgh some of y'all remember dan uh has secured a slot over on patriot broadcastings patriot soapbox and asked me to come on and he gave me a list of dates and i just wrote him back said well they're they're all all right so just uh you know pick one so he sends me back an email says, "Well, how about tomorrow?" <laughs> the problem was I didn't look at it till, <laughs> the, till the next morning. Uh, so um, I thought, uh, got off the air, it was one to three, and I thought, "Well, I'll have a little minute to get something in my stomach and upload the show and all those things." And I had written him back. and said, "Is that Central?" Or and he writes back after the show. I open it up. He says, "No, it's Eastern." <laughs> <laughs> like, ah, yikes, so I'm already like the butcher we mentioned earlier, a little behind in his work, and uh popped on over there and had a very nice show with dan uh and he's got a sidekick on there with him and uh it was you know just a good exploratory show. There was a number of comments from the audience of people that had not been exposed to this information uh one of them has a son who's a marine and Uh, Don't know. Maybe some of them are listening today. Don't know. But uh, anyways, good show yesterday with Dan. I appreciate him asking me on. And uh, he said, we'll have you back. So I guess he's going to have me back. We'll see as that develops. Anyway, that's what happened with me. I had a
1: really good show yesterday. You did? I had a really good show yesterday. With, you're really, really going to enjoy the Paul English show when you when you actually get caught uh, when up I, in listening like to the Paul in, English show. In, in
0: in December when I get caught up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh yeah, no, you're really going to enjoy enjoy yesterday's show. Um, Paul English had uh, had a guest on in the first hour, and they talked all talked about all kinds of great things. It was just like my head was spinning by the beginning of the second hour right. which is where i kind of kind of threw dipped my toe in the water and paul and i had a good discussion yesterday so you're gonna love it
0: uh, I, you know it's just uh, paul is such a good guy and it's been really a pleasure I, i've just enjoyed i'm sure he wouldn't say the same but i've enjoyed all the times we've worked together uh and it's uh, he's quite a mentor and Again, Paul is the reason we're able to do this, and others. So he's put several networks on the air. I guess he's working on another one or two now. So uh, Paul's deal was years ago. He said, I, we've got to get the message out. I've got to do something. And he was motivated by those uh, emotions and feelings to... Sit down for about a year and a half, I think, and uh, start studying, reading all these wonderful technical manuals that you just get, spe- they're page turners. You get spellbound on page to page of technical manuals, but he's oriented that way anyway. And it was through all that sacrifice that we uh, were here. So uh, gosh, crazy, craziness in the world. Uh,
1: Brent showed up yet? Yes, he's there, but he's muted. He's muted.
0: At the he's moment, muted. So. Well, he'll unmute in a second. I know he can do Brent. that. So, <laughs> Come on we, in here. There's Brent. I'm hey, good. Brent. Hey, Brent. You, okay, let's see. Talk a little bit. Let's get you uh, leveled out and all that stuff.
2: Well, four score and seven years ago.
0: Okay. Oh, yeah, you got pictures. I get to see Brent today. Okay, good deal. That's right. Yeah. We're on Zoom now. Um, Brent, I was thinking last night, I was uh, – Going to harken you back to your days in the Navy. Uh, I doubt if you, being a farm boy, had ever been exposed to this before you joined the deep blue sea boys. But there's an old saying around water people, and I know you heard it in there, and it says, red sky in morning, sailor take warning. Red sky at night, sailor's delight. You heard that? Uh-huh. We got, a hell, uh-huh. we got a hell of a red sky and the sun's starting to come up.
2: No, I, well, now don't get too quick uh, and let your guard down. That's what I'd say. I, there are things that happen that will help the evil empire. I think keeps going forward, but uh, just the things that are happening are happening because people have a tremendous amount of power, are manipulating it, of course, and want it to happen. Now, if it's all right with you, Roger, what I'd like to do this morning to start on that subject. What I'd like to do this morning to start is read a, uh, excerpts from a speech that uh, is well-known in some st- circles. It was delivered way back in in
3: 1941,
0: mm-hmm. September 11th. Brent, could I ask um, you a question? Uh, you, you're talking yeah. on you're using the microphone on uh, the laptop?
2: No,
0: should I? Well, I don't know. You sound a little uh, like you're in a barrel a little bit, and uh, I I didn't know if you had your headphones on or not. But I want everybody to to have that audio as as good as we can get it.
2: Oh, I got it here. Hang on,
0: okay. I bet
2: there's yeah. You you sound
0: like you're talking in a barrel there. I know you're in a room, and it probably doesn't have perfect acoustics. But uh, maybe a microphone change might alleviate that. Was my thinking and
2: everybody is that better
0: oh well, only about a thousand percent
2: oh good let's do it then i'm going to read the speech but i'm not going to tell you who who it is till i get to the end and 1941
0: 1941 yeah, Right.
2: 1941 okay and uh these are excerpts but quite a few and i'll begin this is a quote i'm going to be quoting from here on out unless i say otherwise it is now two years since the latest european war began From that day in September 1939 until the present moment, there has been an over-increasing effort to force the United States into the conflict. That effort has been carried on by foreign interests and by a small minority of our own people. But it has been so successful that today our country stands on the verge of war. At this time, as the war is about to enter its third winter, It seems appropriate to review the circumstances that have led to our present position. Why are we on the verge of war? Was it necessary for us to become so deeply involved? Who is responsible for changing our national policy from one of neutrality and independence to one of entanglement in European affairs? When this war started in Europe, it was clear that the American people were solidly opposed to entering it. Why shouldn't we be? We had the best defensive position in the world. We had a tradition of independence from Europe. And the one time we did take part in a European war left European problems unsolved and debts to America unpaid. The three most important groups who have been pressing this country toward war are the British, that's one group, the Jewish, that's a second group, and the Roosevelt administration. Beyond these groups, but of lesser importance, are a number of capitalist, anglophiles, and intellectuals who believe that the future of mankind depends upon the domination of the British Empire. Add to these the communist groups who were opposed to intervention until a few weeks ago and I believe have named the major war agitators in this country. No person with a sense of dignity of mankind can condone the persecution of the Jewish race in Germany. I'm still quoting. But no person of honesty and vision can look on their pro-war policy here today without seeing the dangers involved in such a policy, both for us and for them. Instead of agitating for war, the Jewish groups in this country should be opposing it in every possible way, for they will be among the first to feel its consequences. Tolerance is a virtue that depends upon peace and strength. History shows that it cannot survive war and devastations. A few far-sighted Jewish people realize this and stand opposed to the intervention, but the majority still do not. Their greatest danger to this country lies in their large ownership and influence in our motion pictures, our press, our radio, and our government. I'm not attacking either the Jewish or the British people, both races I admire. But I am saying that the leaders of both the British and the Jewish races, for reasons which are as understand, are as ununderstandable from their viewpoint as they are ad- inadvisable from ours, for reasons which are not American, wish to involve us in the war. We cannot blame them for looking out for what they believe to be their own interests. But we also must look out for ours. We cannot allow the natural passions, this is the quote, of this speech that I think is the most stabbing and captures everything else that he says. We cannot allow the natural passions and prejudices of other peoples to lead our country into destruction. That sentence grabs it. We cannot blame them for looking out for what they believe to be their own interest. Now, oh, here we go. This is quoting again. The Roosevelt administration is the third powerful group which has been carrying this country toward war. Its members have used the war emergency to obtain a third presidential term for the first time in American history. They have used the war to add unlimited billions to a debt, which was already the highest we have ever known. And they have just used the war to justify the restriction of congressional power, and the assumption of dictatorial procedures on the part of the president and his appointees. When hostilities commenced in Europe in 1939, it was realized by these groups that the American people had no no intention of entering the war. They knew it would be worse than useless to ask us for a declaration of war at that time but they believed that this country would be entered into the war in very much the same way we were entered into the last one. That's World War I. They planned, first, to prepare the United States for foreign war under the guise of American defense. Second, to involve us in the war step by step without our realization. Third, to create a series of incidents which would force us into the actual conflict. These, these plans were, of course, to be covered and assisted by the full power of their propaganda. First, we agreed to sell arms to Europe. Next, we agreed to loan arms to Europe. Then, we agreed to patrol the ocean for Europe. Then, we occupied a European island in the war zone. Now, we have reached the verge of war. We are on the verge of war, but it is not yet too late to stay out. It is not too late to show that no amount of money or propaganda or patronage can force a free and independent people into a war against its will. It is not yet too late to retrieve and to maintain the independent American destiny that our forefathers established in this new world. And before I tell you who said that, I want to read that that statement, that sentence that captures the gist and the gravamen of what he's saying. We cannot allow the natural passions and prejudices of other peoples to lead our country to destruction. And those are the words of Charles Lindbergh. That was who I was going to guess. Well, I figured everybody who was listening would be. Coming to that conclusion, not everybody, but a lot of them, because they're a well-informed crowd that, here. That was senior, right? No, that was, that junior. was junior.
0: Okay, that was junior. Who had he was his blackmailed? Right. He had his he son? His son was kidnapped.
2: Yes. Well, I say, I thought. Now you tell me, Roger uh, Charles A. Lindbergh, the aviator that flew across the Atlantic, his father was a congressman.
0: From yes. He was, he was the guy, the one vote that stopped the League of Nations from being ratified.
2: And so things got worse from there. And Charles, of course, he was of the mindset of his father. He was uh, His feet were made of clay like the rest of us. He fell to uh, the passions of his own body, and that hurt him a lot. That was after the war. And he died by himself on a remote island in hawaii and he's buried there i believe and he didn't want anybody around but he was so here's the problem and this is what we all need to avoid we all need to avoid the evil empire is so vicious so unprincipled so bloodthirsty that they'll stop at nothing and it's depressing And it makes people want to get out and go live by themselves like a monk. That's what Charles Lindbergh did the last years of his life. I remember when he was deeply involved in, uh, well, he was um, an executive of one of the airlines. I forget which one. That was Mm -hmm. back in the 70s. But then he turned into a hermit. And that's not what God wants of his people. Uh, But it is easy to look at what's going on and say, I'm done. Yep. But the Bible says we are to walk by what God says and not by what it looks like is happening. And if, you, if Charles Lindbergh would have flown his airplanes according to the way he lived his life, he would have been dead long before. But he didn't. He relied upon his instruments. He learned to do that during the war and afterwards. But when an aviator l- relies upon his instruments, he may save his life instead of relying upon his senses. Mm-hmm. And that's what God calls us to do. He calls us to rely upon what he says. The, I analogize that to the instruments and not what's going on, what we see around us, because we've already won. And this analogy is good. I've used it before. I want to use it again. Um, World War II was the, the Germans had lost the war before they ever started. And as I would said before, the South had lost the war before they ever started. Right. And the Japs had lost the war before they ever started. They were foolish to pull a gun on uh, somebody that has the drop on them. I tell my children this. Uh, As much as the people in the South, as much as the Germans had going for them, and the Japs too, but in an unchristian way, of course. But as much as they had going for them, you fall into the trap of Satan to to pull a gun on somebody that's got the drop on you. And Jesus Christ said it just that way. He said when a king goes to war, the first thing he ought to do, if he's smart sit down and calculate whether he's got enough men and materiel to carry the war through and none of them did and they knew that but they did it anyway because they were overcome with their own passions and if there's anything that destroys armies in battle and countries it is people that allow their passions to overcome the facts and we all stand in danger of it every moment of our lives. We'll, we'll destroy our lives with passion. We'll destroy our families. We'll destroy our businesses. We'll destroy our communities. We'll destroy our churches. We'll destroy our institutions of learning. We will destroy our countries. It all comes down, and this is what we want to pound away at here. Roger, you and I have said this this is an individual matter. Yes. And you and most of us underestimate the incredible, unfathomable, unmeasurable power that God will work through a man or a woman that gets his, what he thinks he ought to be doing and with his passions under control. And not only that, but to allow the passions of other groups and other people and other countries to control me and my country, that will destroy even worse. And the devil's And he's a clever SOB, a Ooh. son of Belial, son of Belial. He's a lot smarter than anybody on earth. And he's been at it for thousands of years. He's wily, as the old book says. That means he doesn't stop playing games, and he has no honor, no dignity. He doesn't care what anybody thinks about him or his useful idiots. And they don't care either, frankly, because they're overcome with their passions, and they're blind to how foolish and stupid they look. I don't want to be in that world. I struggle every day to stay out of it. I beat my body. I beat my body, black and blue, as Paul the Apostle says. That's what he means when he says that. And I pound myself under the eye. That's what the word means. That's what it takes to be a winner, friends. Dig a little deeper in the well. Yeah. Dig a little deeper in the well. If you want a good, cool, to drink of water, you got to dig a little deeper in the well. Second place, don't get it, son. Winner, a winner's got to come in first. And ain't nothing worse than taking a drink that leaves you with a thirst. And most people that claim to be Christians have taken drinks; they have tasted of the gift, as it says in Hebrews six. But they're thirsty, and they don't know where to get anything to drink. Yeah. And there ain't nothing worse. And that's what will destroy you. Go ahead, Roger.
0: No, it's Paul's trying to interrupt. Where's that ding coming from, Paul? Where's the ding?
2: Yeah, that is, it's making
1: me it's making me making me crazy. Okay. Um it, well, let's stop that. Um. Uh, I don't have any other mics open. I can't find any other source other than Brent as to where that could be oh, from. Oh, uh, I, have, I like- didn't
2: hear you. I, I, Roger, that is me. And I apologize. And there's nothing I can do about it. I'm struggling with it. I've been struggling with it for weeks. Really? And when this thing gets charged up, yeah, it may stop. I looked up, found a website that tells me how to get rid of the ding, but then I tried to follow it, and it. I couldn't make sense of what the guy was saying. <laughs> so but it, it may stop here if you can tolerate it if you can't <laughs> let me know, No, we can talk, it. To start I just them mad. when it starts
0: doing that just wonder where it's coming from. So yeah, uh, no problem re- reading those technical manuals. Um uh-huh.
1: that's, Yeah. Uh, that's the work of the devil right there right, because that so. is just 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 cotton picking irritating. Well, we just <laughs> Yeah, it. It is. it's, it's just I've been living it's, with it. Huh? It's uh-huh. <laughs> it's distracting. It's irritating. I, I think I believe it's the work of the devil. Well, well
2: it is. It is true that uh, remember, though, we need to remember, always remember, as Luther said, he may be the devil, but he's still God's devil. He right. Made him, he's under his control and he answers to him. He well, I mean, look no further.
0: Look no further than Apple's logo.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to say something else here, Roger, because I'm cocked and loaded this morning. Okay, you sh- you sound uh, like I, it. And uh, Susan says, "Well, Roger puts a, a lightness in a to to your relationship. Sometimes you get so intense and and uh, he flips the trigger and away you go, and but then Roger, he's always calm and collected." Well, not always. Uh, not. Uh-huh. <laughs> Well, I I have passion. I just pray to my God, the God that made me, that my passion is for him. As David said, the zeal. David, king of Israel, said, zeal for thy house has eaten me up. In other words, I'm overcome. But if it's the right passion, that's okay. I pray it is. But uh, we we who, uh, for example, me, I don't know who's with me, I'm not for bloodshed. I'm sick. I read this week roger about the battle of shiloh again and uh, there was more than one person that wrote home after that battle it was over two days of course and said uh, one fellow one young private wrote home and said men have christian men christian men i want to stress that christian men have turned into fiends U, U.S. Grant said, and he was, of course, that's a that was a private soldier said that. U.S. Grant said, I could go out onto the battlefield and walk for several hundred yards and never have to step on the ground, just step on the bodies. Mm. Now, that's demonic. Yes. Who manipulates Christian men in a Christian country to slaughter each other like pigs? Worse than pigs. I'm not for it. Well, and that's what's being promoted right now. Yep, in America. But here's what I was driving. I wanted to drive at. Isn't it something that those of us who do not want to shed blood, do not want to see killing, do not want men, Christian men, to be driven to be fiends, which is what the evil empire is trying to do? People in Christian country, uh, we are called racist. We are called racist, and we're not. We're not the killers. You're the bloodthirsty sons of biscuit eaters. You're the SOBs, and you're the ones that are trying to do this, not us. We don't want war, and we don't know what's true and what's false, and we know that you're propaganda, propaganda experts, and we know that that makes you money, and we're not willing to listen. We're willing to say no until I know that my interests are being threatened all my life, my family, my country is being threatened. I'm backing off because my involvement will just make it worse. And I don't want to see Americans. We got to look, as Lindbergh said, we got to look out for ourselves. We don't want to die, shed our blood, spill our blood for the causes of something that has no meaning to us at all. And it doesn't. You know, if they have a problem, wherever it is over there on the other side of the world, if they have a problem, and it is a part of our national vital this is our policy has always been our policy. If it's not threatening our vital national interest, God does not want us to go spill our blood and spill the blood of others in mass. And we in America have power to do that in mass, like no people in the world. That's wrong. And we'll pay a price for it. Yes. An ultimate price. Go ahead, Roger. Oh gosh, look I really got so many things on my mind
0: on what you're talking about on this issue. Uh, you know, I started becoming aware of this back in my youth in the 60s when some of the atrocities against the Palestinians uh, were coming to light. And, of course, most of those got buried because they controlled the media totally. I uh, didn't understand, you know, anything except the emotional thing of these people are being persecuted and prosecuted here um so and as you get curious and you learn more about it and you start looking in the history it becomes more revolting and it becomes more obvious who's pulling the strings and who has all of these characteristics you described earlier um we played uh, this week uh, are you familiar with allison weir do you know who she is
2: yeah, it rings a bell, Roger, but tell me. Maybe she was
0: a tenured uh, can... professor out at Berkeley who was uh, very... Oh, yeah,
2: I remember her. I right. remember her, yeah. And she's still yeah, around. she still rings. Kind of, yeah, well, go ahead.
0: Well, and she uh, I had stumbled on one of her talks years ago and pulled the audio off it. and we I played it occasionally. Mm-hmm. We played it this week. And uh, it's just repulsive. The whole situation
2: is just repulsive. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, uh, we have no vital interest there. Uh, There's no Christianity there. If you uh, tell people about uh, the Messiah of mankind, Jesus Christ, they'll prosecute you for a crime. Throw you in jail. And And the Palestinians, are there many of them that are Christian? Many. Not all of them. I don't know who they are, just like I don't know in America who the Christians are. I know many have tasted of the gift, as it says in Hebrews 6, but have they taken the deep drink? that changes their lives and and uh, fixes them in their position. Uh, I, I don't know the answer to that, and I'm, I'm not pretty well, good. I'm not supposed to be. I, I got but one. I know there are Christian Palestinians.
0: I got some insight I, into
2: that for you. What is
0: well, I heard a guy that is a friend of Harrison Smith from childhood. They was, he said we were in the same classroom the day 9-11 happened, you know. And he's Lebanese, and he keeps up on this stuff, and he had him call in. And evidently, he calls in and makes a comment, and then all the subsequent callers comment on his comment. So what Harrison did was they had him on, and he said his, his comments, and then he stayed on, and people could call in and address him, okay? And uh, he was talking about... And I don't, I don't know what his uh, religious affiliation was. But he was know. talking about, and he said, you know, in the Quran. Uh, they honor Jesus and even Mary, evidently over Jesus as his mother it gives gives a little more emphasis there these are his words okay? and that that is the reason that the Palestinians and the Arabs and the Christians and even a small percentage of Jews lived over there peacefully for 2,000 years where Arabs would marry Christians because they have at least some respect of Jesus and Mary and they recognize that now the, certainly there's a bloodthirsty sect, and it's been whipped up by these same guys to, uh, you know, paint all the Arabs in this uh, in this fashion. But uh, I was kind of that, that uh, I thought about it several times since I heard him talk about it. It makes a lot of sense to me. And of course, uh, they did live over there next door to each other, and intermarried for two thousand years. They never had a problem till these Zionist monsters moved in, and that's where the problem started. Okay well and he's so, right hey, about a hundred years good. ago hey, this goes back about a, even maybe even a little more than a hundred years, 110, fifteen years is when they started bringing people down there to uh,
2: eventually uh, affect this change uh-huh well he's right about the, about Islam, but it's not just the certain sects of Islam. All of Islam says Jesus Christ is the second greatest. Prophet, right, and they venerate Mary because Muhammad came into contact with a wacko. I say well, I don't like to use the word heretic. He was teaching false doctrine, claiming to be Christian. His name was Nestorius. It was a large movement, a large movement of monkery in Asia Minor, led by a man named Nestorius, and he's the one. Nestorius is one that in, he's the one that invented the phrase mother of God, oh. story. So I'm going to fix that in your minds. That's how that started and the Mariolatry that has overcome much of Christa Dum, Dumb, D-U-M-B. Mary is not co redemptress She is not co-mediator with Jesus Christ. She's Mary. She's a vessel like you and me, a sinner, who had several children, by the way. The Bible makes that abundantly apparent several children. She was a sinner that God used a vessel that God used to deliver the sinless Messiah of mankind. Uh, We are to have respect for all men, including her. And uh, she's not the one that did it. God did it. Jesus Christ honored his mother to the very end. Even after he he was nailed to a post, he saw to her care, as the Bible commands, he never broke the law. But uh, mariolatry is the result of Nestorius. Well, the Islamic, uh, the Nestorius monks. It was a large movement of monkery, which is neither biblical either, not biblical either. Uh, it, I is an educated man, Roger. I want you to know that. <laughs> but uh, Nestorius, Nestorius uh, was a large movement of monkery, and some Nestorian monks befriended and helped Muhammad when he was down, and so Muhammad, forever after that, was up on. Nestorius and his doctrines. And Nestorius doctrines fit in with Jesus Christ being the second greatest prophet, by the way, which is a worse, even a worse, blasphemy than ignoring him. To put Jesus Christ in the place of second fiddle is blasphemy beyond blasphemy. And um, that's what Islam does. And that's why they are who they are. And that's why they're off track and dangerous at every point. Christianity elevates Jesus Christ to the supreme position over all things, sovereign over all, bar none, a member of the Godhead, has always been a member of the Godhead. We elevate him in our minds because he always has been. It's not that he hasn't been. He always has been. He's the creator of all things, the Bible says. He entered the stream of humanity, reduced himself, and gave up his glory, reduced himself to the span of a man, the Bible says, and delivered his people from their sins, and that delivered them into eternal safety conclusively without repentance or regret on his part. And what he wants and what he starts, he finishes. He doesn't repent of anything and he doesn't regret anything. And if he has saved a man, that's the end of it. That man's safe for eternity. Now, what he does in the meantime may get him in trouble, may make his life miserable. That's why I said a while ago, I don't make a judgment on charles Lindbergh. i know that he has feet of clay and i know that his flesh overcame him and he did things that destroyed his family his life and a whole lot of other stuff and depressed him and he saw that the things that he had fought for didn't happen the way he thought they ought to and they didn't but that doesn't mean we aren't winners as bad as it looks we're the winners all we got to do is do the mop up so hang in there folks Um, the messiah himself has declared it It's going to happen well, I, I want to make a mention of this thing about racism. Tell a story, Roger. If you've got something to say, I'll let you go first. Oh, my God. And okay. I'm going to tell a story about how this plays out.
0: Go ahead and tell your story. I want to get back when we get finished to some current events and Mr. Trump uh, and uh, oh, the last okay. couple of years. So go ahead.
2: Yeah. Okay. Then I'll tell one story and then you can have a swing at it. But I was on a radio station. You've heard me say this before. It was 2F, 2FM stations and 2 a.m. stations, and they broadcast simultaneously. And I had the... Wow, all four four signals, all four simulcast? Simulcast, yeah. Out of
0: the same city?
2: Out of the same studio. Well, we were out in the country. He built the studio out in the country, but uh-huh. it was near Bouts, Terre Haute, Indiana. And uh, so we had a good audience. It was Christian. It was all Christian broadcasting, and I had the drive time show in the morning of three hours. And uh, I'd have anybody I wanted on. And of course you had all these folks driving to work and you had people over at Indiana state. Now, for those of you that don't know where Terre Haute is, um, I used to say, and it still works for some older folk. I used to say, well, that's where Larry Bird played college basketball. right? And they know who Larry Bird was and they can put it on the map, but that's Terre Haute, Indiana. And uh, in the heart of the Wallbash Valley, as they say, and that's the home of Eugene Debs, the man that ran oh, for president yeah. from federal right. prison in Atlanta, Georgia. Right,
0: <laughs> you labor, guy, labor, labor guy. Labor, labor guy. He? he
2: founded the railroad union. He, right. he grew up there, and John Lewis founded the coal miners union, and he was stationed there, and because of the coal mines and the railroad union was there, because of the coal trains, there were so many coal. You could still go to Terre Haute; you get railroaded. I don't care who you are, where you drive, you're going to get railroaded by a coal train. There's so many of them still going, but uh, last time I was there anyway, uh, something's changed, but I had uh, at those stations, and and uh, one of the men that uh, was very influential there, matter of fact, they used to say you couldn't spit on the sidewalk in Terre Haute unless Tony Hallman gave you permission, and that was Tony Hallman was the man that owned... Clabber Girl Bacon Powder Company. Oh yeah, and the Indianapolis 500 Speedway, Whoa. and a third of downtown Indianapolis and a Ooh. half of downtown Terre Haute were Clabber Girl Bacon Powder Company. Still is, by the way, still there. And uh, Tony Holman was the big donor to Rose, Rose Poly, which now called Rose Holman because all the money he gave to the Technological Institute there, and Rose Holman was engineering school. All male uh, in my day. It was all male. And it was a feeder school for West Point and other things like that. But so, um, there was money there. Tony was in charge and the fellow that owned these radio stations put them together. He was 80 some years old, almost 90 at the time. And he knew what he's doing. He'd been in radio since the days of Red Skelton down in, uh, Terre Haute or uh, Vincennes. He went down to Vincennes was the next town South on the Wabash and, uh, was, he uh, worked in a radio station when he was a teenager down there as a broadcaster. He ended up going to Rose Polly, and uh, then uh, got an, an engineering degree. And then he was going to get wealthy in the radio business. And he did. He got wealthy with a fella in a little town there. There was a fella from Tell City, Indiana, who took over from uh, Gary Moore. Gary Moore he used to have a television show called uh, What's, What's My, my line? line? Yeah. Well, the, when Gary Moore retired, I don't. Gary Moore was a chain smoker, I remember. And excuse me, I've got a. <coughs> oh, I tried to hit the mic. I'm sorry, I did. not oh, That's okay. I tickled my nose. I sneeze. Gary at, Moore. I
0: sneeze at him all the time. Go ahead.
2: <laughs> well, this isn't uh, prime time television or No, No, you know. no, no. Well, <laughs> Gary Moore. Gary Moore, I think he, he was a chain smoker. He might have died of lung cancer or just quit. I don't know what. It didn't was, he used to smoke
0: did. on the show?
2: Oh, he was, oh, yeah, that guy never stopped. And it, everybody liked Gary Moore. I liked Gary Moore when I was a kid, but he didn't make it. And those cigarettes got to him, but uh, which they usually do. But the fellow that took over for him, he was on there for a short time, and, of course, he wasn't as well-known as popular, and he ended up getting off and trying to set up radio stations all over rural America because the FCC rules changed back in the early 60s. And a lot of these little towns in the Midwest, uh, they were getting radio stations. That was a pretty big deal because we used to listen to radio, and it was always from the big city. We had KXOK out of out of St. Louis, and we had uh, WSM out of Nashville. And they were high-powered stations, 50,000 watts. And we had WWL, I believe it was, out of New Orleans. Yes,
0: yeah, sir. Big seven. WW- big, big
2: 790. Now, get this, people don't realize this. I know I'm on a rabbit trail, but this is fun for me. It's American. It's Americana. Yeah. People think that the Grand Ole Opry out of Nashville, WSM, was the the starship of country music, but it wasn't. The starship of that that kind of programming was w, WLS out of Chicago. Oh, yeah.
0: World's largest WLS, store. You
2: WLS, know, yeah. World's largest store. You've made that point on top of the Sears building. WLS uh, broadcast all over the Midwest and the South, clean down to Memphis and North. I had yeah. buddies when I was in service said they used to listen to WLS out of Chicago and North and South Carolina. It was like so a local. At- yeah,
0: Brent. My when yeah. I was first starting in radio, I started midnight to six for thirteen months. Mm-hmm. Okay, they threw mm-hmm. me to the dogs on yeah, the overnight yeah. shift, and yeah. I loved. I'd go, I'd put a record on, I'd go outside and, and turn on WLS outside and hear what John Records Landecker said, and then I'd come in and yes. use the same material.
2: <laughs> Land- That's a true story. Yeah, I remember him. <laughs> yeah, and well, they ran a show up up until well, I was a little kid. Uh, it was called the WLS Barn Dance. Really? And they had people on there like uh, George Goble. He played mm-hmm. the guitar, you know. And and uh, Gabby Hayes was a big right. star on WLS Barn Dance. And that broadcast all over the south and the midwest, and people loved it because they were country folk. It it's a huge America 50. Had.
0: It's sitting up there on the top yeah. of the Sears Tower. It's a 50KW, which is the uh-huh. highest allotted for AM, and it's uh-huh. directional south.
2: Yeah, oh boy, did they ever cover it! Well, WLS had that LS had that barn dance, and that was exceedingly popular. My parents used to talk about it, and my aunts and uncles, and they'd listen to it. And and then uh, WWL and WSM out of Nashville, WWL mm-hmm. out of out of New Orleans, they said, "Hey, this stuff really goes. Let's let's do something like that." So WSM began to program. Uh, The Grand Ole Opry. Now people say that it began in 1925 in Nashville with uh, Uncle Dave Macon and he called it the Grand Ole Opry just off the cuff and that's how it got started but it really got its impetus from WLS and then the WWL barn dance out of uh, New Orleans. I tried to say it the way you folk down there say it, Roger. No, 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 no. It's it's just
0: one word. It's just one word. Okay, go ahead. It's spelled (laughs) (laughs) N-A-W-L-I-N-S.
2: Well, they had the WLS Barn Dance. See, the WLS Barn Dance then featured people that were unknown at that time, like um, uh, Elvis Presley and uh, all, right. all those kind of folk right. and, and wls did too had all those kind of folk on there and of course wsm out of nashville or out of nashville tennessee but this fella he started getting into radio when he got off the gary moore show and he was starting so the rules changed and they started a radio station in that little town where i live or where i went to high school i didn't live in the town before i went to high school and it was called uh w um, wkz i because the name of the town was casey c-a-s-e-y but mm-hmm. we didn't say casey everybody said casey mm-hmm. and uh that was a clear channel 800 and at um one time the, the the dj on there i forget that guy's name great big heavy set fella like some of them are, you know somebody called in wanted to hear a uh, patsy Cline or something and then before that they were playing uh rock and roll you know and he played uh that uh I think, didn't Patsy Klein have a song called Stop the World and Let Me Off or something? Yeah, no, 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 so. that wasn't it. Uh, well, and uh, people started, the phones lit up and started calling in and wanted more of that. And so Paul, the fellow that ran these stations, he went down to down to uh, Nashville to the conferences, started picking up records, and he made a fortune um, on... Uh, country music. Well, then he got into Christian radio, and he had these four stations out of Terre Haute. I'm finally getting to the story. Okay. So
0: Good good background, so though. Some real good yeah, background. So,
2: a son, one of the sons of Tony Holman was in a bluegrass band in, uh, in Terre Haute. And uh, he had been a sailor, and he'd been up in the I've been uh, around Iceland when he was on a tin can up there. and We had some things in common. We talked a while, and he played the banjo, and I tried to play the banjo when I was younger. By the way, Roger, I got pretty good at it, but oh, I can't do it. I tried nice,
0: nice, instru- nice instrument.
2: <laughs> well, he played the banjo, and uh, they came over. We were having a telethon, a telethon to raise money, 24 hours straight, broadcasting. And uh, I was on there, and the band was over in the corner of the studio room. They played a few songs, and people were just driving by on the yeah. old Kerumberlin Road where the studio was and they 'd stop and talk to us, and they'd get on the air with us. It was one of those kind of deals it was kind of down home, and anybody could get on it was christian station we had we reached from clean to almost well to the edge of Indianapolis and clean almost to St Louis and clean up almost to Chicago and clean down almost to Paducah. Mm-hmm. That was the range we had mm-hmm. all that rural area in between those four towns and uh this fella shows up in a jaguar he comes blowing up i saw him out the window in the parking lot out there paul had it graveled up where people could drive in and he jumps out and he was kind of funny looking fella i didn't know who he was and paul jumped up and ran outside and shook his hand oh they were good buddies and he patted him on the back and laughed and This guy came in, he put him right down in front of a microphone. We had four microphones set up around the studio table. And then we had the panel over on one side, you know, and the (laughs) Wisconsin Synod Lutheran pastor was sitting over on one side. And this fellow jumps in and, and Paul says, I want to introduce Tara Holtz Rabster, Rabster, R-A-B-S-T-E-R. I thought that's kind of funny. And I, I'm on the mic, and I said, well, you're going to have to tell us what a rabster is. And he said, well, that's a cross between a rabbi and a pastor. And I said, oh, a rabbi and a pastor. Fascinating. And I figure if he's Paul's friend, he's my friend. I didn't know who he was. He was a Jewish fellow from New York who had started a, some kind of a congregation there in town. And then I found out, they got to talk him, that he was part of what people call today the Hebrew Roots Movement. Hebrew Roots. That's where people try to go back and do all the rabbinicals to Christian people. I'm talking about try to do the rabbinical stuff and they use the prayer shawls and the candles and, and they wear tassels on the belt loops, of their new jeans their blue jeans and uh, you know, all the Jewish stuff, the Talmudic stuff. Well, I didn't, I don't particularly care for things like that. That's an understatement. And that's what Jesus Christ railed against the Talmudic stuff, the tradition of the elders, as they call it, you know, and uh, But I thought, well, this guy's a friend of Paul's. Maybe there's something good about him. And, and they got to talking, and I'd heard that they'd persuaded a lot of the major businesses in downtown Terre Haute to close on Saturdays and to do a lot of other weird stuff that's not in the Bible. They were going down to the Wabash River and trying to throw rocks across the river in a ceremonial fashion. I didn't know anything about that. I, and, uh, and then uh, finally I thought, well, this, maybe he's a decent guy. I'll just ask him how he squares up. The um, calling himself a rabbi and a pastor when the Bible says, uh, Jesus Christ says point blank, call no man rabbi. Rabbi is as a Hebrew word, by the way, it means teacher. It
0: means teacher, yeah, teacher,
2: it? It means teacher, but it's in the plural and it's the multiple by doubling the second, the second uh, consonant, the beth, the b sound. It uh, has the idea of great or multiple or. Unmeasurable, the great one, the great teacher, not just teacher, but great teacher, you know, and uh, big, big shot type thing. And I asked him, how do you square that with the Bible? And I really thought I was being friendly. I thought he'd have an answer. And he said, "Uh, well, I don't, I don't think that's important. Well, I thought. Well, I, I do, and I didn't thought I wouldn't push it. I didn't want to make a scene because we were trying to make money, and everybody right. was having a good time, and and uh, so I didn't make a scene, and and then this guy, he's still talking. I don't remember what his name was, and he said, uh, "Well, in the course of the conversation, all all of Israel will be saved," and I said, "Well, what does that mean?" He said, "All Jewish people will be saved uh-huh. in the end. None of us will go to hell." Well, this Wisconsin Synod pastor over here, he he piped up. He he would. <laughs> this guy was a power lifter. That's what he liked to do in his spare time. Big dude, you know. He liked to smoke a big long German hit German pipe and and drink beer. That's, uh, and he made his own. And he was a power lifter, competitive. Uh, nice fellow. His favorite book in the Bible was Leviticus. He was German to the core, you know. He was and the Missouri. I said Wisconsin. Yeah, the Wisconsin Synod is one of the German arms of Lutheranism. And the Lutheran and the uh, Missouri Synod is the other German arm. Uh, but he, he said, now, wait a minute. He said, uh, no, I, I don't want people to think that that's my position. No, a salvation, eternal safety is an individual matter. It's not a national matter, ultimately. It's, uh, it's every man for himself here. And no, all the Jewish people won't be saved, but Paul the Apostle, and he explained it. He said, Paul the Apostle says that uh, someone who follows Judaism, whether they be a true Israelite or anyone else, uh, they can trust Jesus Christ. Uh, So that's the true doctrine. I want to make that point. And this guy piped up, ejaculated, shrieked out. I don't know how else to say it. He said... All Israel will be saved. And that's anti-Semitism, anti-Semitism. There's the word, Semiticism. Semiticism, that's a pretty interesting word, Roger. Yeah. <laughs> Anti-Semitism. And uh, this Lutheran fellow said, now, wait a minute. He said, I got, now here we're getting to the point. He said, I got a lot of friends in Palestine that are Palestinians that are Christian people and they're Semites. And he said, I love them they're Christian people. Just like the Bible says I'm supposed to. They're Semites. They're Christians. Don't call me anti-Semites. And it got real heated on the air. It put a damper on everything. Uh-huh. And people in the room got upset. And the people called in. They got upset. And they said, if this continues, we're, gonna, we're not going to listen anymore. And then this, this the rabster over here looks at me across the table and said, Brent, I, I want you to pray right now. And Brent said... I'm not a dog. I don't pray on command. Ooh. I pray if somebody requests it, and I pray when I want to. But I don't pray on command. And he said, well, well, he didn't know what to do. Well, well I'll, I'll pray. I said, well, you can pray if you want, but I'm not in the mood to pray right now. None of my business. Well, it got worse. Mm. You see, if you stand up for what is right and say, no, I'm not anti-Semitic, I got a lot of Arab and Palestinian people that are Christian people that I I would support in a heartbeat. They're Christian people. The Bible says, uh, honor all men. All men, without exception. Even your enemies. Honor them, even if you have to kill them. Do not abuse them. Honor all men, says Peter. Then he says, love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. So you honor the king in the same way you honor any other man. You don't hold him up any higher than any other man. You just honor him. But the brotherhood, and you read Peter. Peter, he focuses, he has two epistles in the Bible. Um, By the way, some of you that have read 1 John 30 times in 30 days, I would suggest now you go read the two epistles of Peter and divide them up. One's three chapters, one's five, I think. I remember right. Read them, uh, each one of them in 30 days. And you'll you'll come to see that Peter is overcome with this idea that Christian folk need to take care of one another. We should love our brethren. Honor all men. No, no, you love your Christian brother and sister. They're special. And by your attitude toward them, your commitment toward them, other people, God will bring his elect to his church, his his, uh, subpoenaed witness group. Well, Roger, I'm hearing the, well, hearing the
0: whistler. Well, you're hearing the whistler. He's a little premature, but only in the respect that we have to uh, sign yeah. out of Chicago. Yeah. So Paul's gonna close this out and we'll I, continue. Oh, okay. I
1: well, wanna I want I wanna have at least a few seconds to talk about commonlawyer.com, Brent Allen Winters. You can see everything that he's doing. You can sign up for his courses, you can peruse his books, you can fill your bookshelf with All of the best information that you will ever read. This is 106.9 WBOU FM Chicago. If you want to catch the second hour of this program, this valuable discussion with Roger Sales and Brent Allen Winters, go to ExposeTheMatrix.com. ExposeTheMatrix.com. You can click on the EurofolkRadio.com link or you can click on the Global Voice Radio link and you can hit the ground running right after the top of the hour thank you so much for joining us this is 106.9 wbou signing off with the radio ranch with roger sales and brent allen winters
0: thank you guys and if you hear anything that resembles the popping of a balloon duck
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah something like that well we don't want to we don't want this charge of anti-semitism Because there are Semites all over the world. A lot of them, millions of them are Islamic. Um, Millions of them are Israelites. We don't know all where they are. Uh, God has promised to obscure their identity, and he has done so. He promised that in his law. He he begins the playing out of it in the book of Esther. And by the way, speaking of things on uh, commonlawyer.com, if you get the winterized version of the Bible, a common lawyer translates and annotates the Bible from the original tongues. You get with that 35 over 35,000 footnotes, so 165 appendices. And in the, uh, the head note, I have a head note there to each of the books of the Bible. The head note to the book of Esther is the longest head note in the Bible. And it's about who are the Israelites and who are the Jews. And the reason that that's important in the book of Esther and what the book of Esther is there for. It is to begin that playing out of what God promised in his law of obscuring the identity of the true Israelite people. That's what that's about, clearly. No question, no ambiguity about it. And God promised it because they were so rotten. And he promised it because he would throw them off. He promised it. But individual members of the religion of Judaism, which is different than being an Israelite, by the way, Individual members of that religious point of view, Talmudism, we call it today, individual members uh, God says if they come to Jesus Christ, the Messiah of God, he'll eternally safen them. If they give up their own works, give up their own abilities, give up their own worth and attribute all to Jesus Christ, he'll safen them for eternity, just like he would you or me. But... The way into destruction, to rack and ruin, is broad, and many there are that go thereat. I'm quoting Jesus Christ. And the way to life is narrow, and few there be that find it. That's the fact of the matter, without explaining why, but that's the fact of the matter. But we want to sow seed to everybody. I do. I want to sow seed to everybody. I don't want war I don't want bloodshed I'll fight it unless there's a reason for it and it has to be a biblical reason that's possible but what we're facing now in our own country there's no biblical reason God has not authorized us to go slaughter other men and be slaughtered for what is going on now or on the other side of the world
0: or to bring their ages old feud to our country in the streets
2: that's right, Roger. Thank you for adding that. That's what they're doing, of course. To work us up, as Charles Lindbergh said, we are not to give ourselves to our own passions, of course, and nor to the passions of other men for their causes, if it's not biblical, if it's not lawful. That's really what that means. Biblical, right. that means lawful, right. the will of God. Right. Just His will. Okay, Roger. Uh, you wanted to say something? Well, man, man I got
0: I got all kinds of things rolling around in my head. One thing uh, you're talking about that just segues right perfectly where we are is uh, we were talking earlier. You know, our mutual friend Paul English has his own program now. I don't know if mm-hmm. you even know that or not. Uh, once a week on Thursdays, and mm-hmm. uh, I've got a great deal of respect and brotherly love for Paul, and uh, he was starting out on. On the original programs, on a book he had just received from a very interesting, Daryl gets books from there too, evidently, Mm -hmm. Uh is a reprinting outfit of original works out of India. Uh Okay? And Paul purchased the Nesta Webster book on the French Revolution. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, what I've heard him talk about. He hadn't read it all yet, so he's kind of commenting, and I'm a couple of weeks behind on listening to his shows, I'll be the first to admit, um, was the act of the crowds and the agitators of the French Revolution. Mm-hmm. and that's what these guys do they come in and yeah. foment crowds okay and put their propaganda in there and get them uh, oriented in their direction and the crowds take over and you know that's mob mob mentality herd mentality if you will group psychology takes over and they all go crazy together okay mm-hmm. so uh, I, i'm i'm interested to get his observations from no anesta webster's evidently excellent book on this really important incident in history, the French Revolution. That was the first time they instituted these principles of the Illuminati into a revolutionary scenario. And uh, that was in Paris. And Uh, Of course, uh, by debauching the monetary supply is part of it. So anyway, I'm interested in that very much. Uh, And and because I see it unfolding in our country right now. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they're massive. sounds like BLM. Well, it is. They take this and just cookie cutter it everywhere, see and and it's this mob mentality and they're as as Brent alluded to earlier they've been doing this for thousands of years folks they're masters at it okay mm-hmm. uh Brent uh transition into this thing on Trump uh, mm-hmm. and of course Mr Trump and certain circles is extremely controversial and even his supporters say well he allowed that jab and this that and the other and he never made these right decisions and all you know all of the complaints you hear against mr trump you know uh do you know that he had never spent a night in washington dc before he got elected
2: (laughs) That's like Woody Wilson. Woody Wilson became president and he got famous because he had written a book about the United States Congress, but he had never been there and never, uh, been to the, the Capitol building or in the congressional chamber and all that kind of stuff. But I could understand that because I wrote, I wrote a book about England and, and Britain. It's uh, almost a thousand pages long and I've never been there. Right. So I suppose I just know what i read you know
0: (laughs) well i just thought that was interesting i heard somebody say that comment how do you expect the guy to know the swamp he's moving into when he's never even spent a night there okay yeah so one of the things i picked up because you know i've got a man crush on robert barnes and uh barnes is good okay he's just Uh a hell of an attorney and hell of a guy and uh he handles is handling now this whistleblower case which may be the largest key tam Sued in the history of the country. Do you know about that?
2: Uh, no. If I do, I've forgotten.
0: Well, so. it's a gal that was a quality control uh, th- uh, employee for Pfizer, and she oh. saw all the lack of all the 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 misuse and the non-existent regulatory stuff that they didn't do, and all that. Well, she turned whistleblower. Okay, oh. and they've got a case uh, down in Beaumont texas against pfizer and uh the judge kind of sidelined them a little bit and then barnes came back with something and they've reopened discovery on pfizer Mm -hmm. so anyway one of the things they found out and they got in all this discovery was the original contract Uh they hoodwinked trump bad They promised to be an effective uh, vaccine on this and this a date. I can't remember all the stipulations, but they absolutely voided every element of that contract and then hung this COVID thing on Trump. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the people that criticize him for this don't know that background, aren't aware of it, or they wouldn't be criticizing him. He just got tricked. Well, all that to lead up to something broke yesterday, that is going to illustrate the problems mr trump had and i'll bet you haven't heard this and probably many Mm -hmm. in the audience have not either Mm -hmm. mark meadows who Mm -hmm. was his chief of staff Mm -hmm. was an fbi informant and was wired, and they recorded every conversation with Trump from an FBI informant who was his chief of staff. How the hell do you expect he accomplished anything?
2: Mm -hmm. Well, we know the FBI was against him. That was abundantly apparent. What was that lanky basketball player they had in there that was supposed to be head of the FBI and yeah, obviously, was a new world order, a communist, and then they had another guy in there with that had converted to Islam.
0: Oh, the big mad. guy, uh, 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 was going around the country talking about how great he is now. He's getting his talks interrupted. I can't think of it, but that he's six foot eight.
2: Yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a he's a lurch, lurch, yeah, yeah, and he was a former probably a, a U, U.S. attorney or something. You know, the U S attorney's office recruits people out of law school that are over six feet six they've been doing this for decades so that when they walk into the courtroom uh, they dominate they tower yeah yeah and then the jury then looks at them instead of looking at anybody else right way I mean, if, if Larry Bird walked in here, he's six nine and a half or six ten. You just can't help but notice the guy that he's the elephant in the room type yeah. thing. You know. Well,
0: <laughs> my dear, my dear patriot friend, who was up from your part of the country, David Strait, Unfortunately, he's got uh-huh. the same name as uh-huh. this charlatan that's going around the country hoodwinking people. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And he was six foot eight too. And he had. Yeah. Well, I've told you before. You know Harold and the yeah. Statler Brothers. Yeah. Yeah. He he looked and sounded had the same voice, had the same face. You could have put them next to each other and thought they were twins. Yeah. Okay. And any time David Strait either spoke or walked into a room, just like you said, commanded attention. Boom. Just like that. Great yeah,
2: guy, great guy. Miss him dearly. Well, if it's a good guy, it's okay. But if it isn't, it's not. This guy. What was his name, Roger? I don't remember. David. The David.
0: D- oh, uh, the guy we're talking about.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: It escapes me. Oh, well, anybody in the audience? James knows? Comey. James Comey. Thank yeah, you. Comey, we have a yeah. no
2: murder. Have it right there, James Comey. No, his backside from a seventeen dollars sunbonnet. Yeah. Just a political appointee so, for that. Remember,
1: his brother Peter works for
3: HS. BC the uh, uh oh yeah Hong Kong Bank, correct?
2: I, I
0: think he was on the board of that at one point. They put him on the board, they've got him on all, uh, all mm-hmm. these different boards, so not a surprise. But uh anyway, I just thought that yesterday when this broke about Martin Meadows, I just I just shook my head, really. How You know, the question now becomes, like I said, how the hell did he accomplish anything with all the traitors he was surrounded with, his own son-in-law, the head of the Lubavitch group in the U.S., uh, all these distractions, intrigue, and influences that surrounded him. Well, if we have an election next year, and I think that's a mighty big if, okay, and Trump would get back in, he knows the lay of the land now.
2: But I agree, Roger, with all the technology being what it is, how could anybody be president of the United States in anything but name? Because the powerful forces of bureaucracy are technologically adept at learning more than the law allows them to know, doing things the law doesn't allow them to do. Here, It seems to me, Roger, that without the reduction or the taking away, as Ron Paul said, of income tax, the power of the federal government, who answers to nobody, is unstoppable.
0: Well, it is, is because now, this, with know. with this scheme, where they can make you a piece of property at birth and collateralize your future income, they now can adhere to Keynesian economics of deficit spending. It's a bottomless pit, folks, and they're loading the debt on the income tax and the bonds.
2: So it comes back, comes back, as we've said before, it's an individual matter. Get out of her, my people. How do you extricate yourself from the entanglement, your entanglement, with the empire of evil? And the empire of evil, said Ron Paul, the way to get rid of the income tax was to get rid of the Federal Reserve Bank and mm -hmm. the Fed. That was his cry. Well, you know, we...
0: We've found a way for you can individually separate yourself from that, and we've never had one case of blowback, to my knowledge, of anybody that's pulled themselves out of that system. But, again, we had something very interesting happen this week, last week and this week. And it was one of our listeners just south of you down there in Kentucky. I'm not sure what town. And uh, she filed her affidavit with Secretary of State and then put all the local uh, folks in Kentucky on notice, including the chief of police. Uh And so she gets a letter from them and says, since you have expatriated and given up your United States citizenship, you have a control concealed carry license, and you have to come turn that back in. Uh And I don't remember if they asked for her guns at that point or not. It's a female. Her name's Marilyn. Uh And so they also said she needed to contact the FBI. And so... Uh And uh-huh. so she did. She went down, turned her license in, said, I don't need one anymore anyway. And, of course, that went right over their head. And uh, then she contacted the FBI. They wouldn't return a phone call, so she wrote them. And uh-huh. the FBI sent her back a letter and said, we have nothing to do with this.
2: Well, that makes sense, but I would have advised her, you don't need to say anything to anybody. What's the use? And well, just because some government bureaucrat who doesn't know his, his backside from a seventeen dollar sum on it works. tells you you got to go call the FBI and you got to do that, right. he's not supposed to be giving legal right. advice. Forget it. Well, she's the, gotten a, the less contact you have, right, the better with, off you uh, are. Government bureaucrats, the better off you are, but well, you have to. Well, that's go life.
0: Is life down here? Life's great until you have to deal with the bureaucracy.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: so now yeah. she gets a letter from the police saying you got to come turn all your guns in. And so, in that letter, they said you've gotten a chance for administrative appeal, and that's what we suggested that she do and I put her in touch with our paralegal
2: guy let, uh, let me back up let me uh, back up Roger okay. if I may and maybe for the sake of others I'll, please go back at the beginning because I had a glitch here, and I didn't catch what you what you said fostered the beginning of this well
0: she put all the local state and state and local people on notice that she'd filed an affidavit which is what we suggest people do
2: back up let me back up do you advise people putting them everybody on to put everybody on notice of what you've done
0: well, not everybody, but certain key people: the attorney general of the state, and your key uh-huh. local people—sheriff, chief of police, district attorney—and now we've added the local public health official because of what uh-huh. they tried to pass in Washington State last year on mandatory jabs. And but in it, your it, that failed, that legislation failed up there. But what uh-huh. where they were proposing was the public health official overrode
2: the sheriff. Well, why? Yeah, that's stupid. I know what you're saying. But why, I'm asking you in your view, why would you advise people to tell anybody that you've done it? Well, because then you're fulfilling. Unless unless there was a need. Well,
0: then you're fulfilling the first step of due process, notice and the right to be heard. You've made the change. Now you're telling your local officials. And one of the real important reasons is because your allegiance has changed okay and this is something i don't know that you and i have uh even discussed
2: a little bit well it's it's
0: kind of new for me actually i've found our teeth in this i believe thanks to a student in ohio sent a notice to the attorney general up there and he got back a letter from constituent (laughs) services saying Uh well we don't have a place to file this and he sent it to me it got me thinking about it and Uh this uh formula for jurisdiction allegiance for protection protection for allegiance it comes from the feudal system. I mean, this hell this is way over a thousand years old. It's not new, you know. And so, technically, as a federal citizen, what you're really Your uh, allegiance is to the federal government because the federal government is giving you protection against any potential actions from your state against the federal citizen. Go back to the Civil War. There's a lot of blacks in the South, especially, that got a lot of resentment after the Civil War and all that, and so the federal government, through the 14th Amendment, gives them protection. Well, when you institute protection, you automatically institute the other side. The allegiance is due. Okay? Well, that's the the way most federal citizens stand, your protections from the federal government, not from the state, okay, and therefore your allegiance to the federal government and why you got to follow all these all these regulatory laws and stuff well when you file that affidavit, that allegiance shifts. I mean it's statutory a national owes total allegiance to a small s state that's in the statutes at large the nationality act of 1940 they brought it over statutorily into the immigration and naturalization act and it's also repeated verbatim in title eight okay so your allegiance now is to the small s state and therefore the protection of the small s state is automatically granted to you but these people don't know this okay so protection from what well if the army of France comes over and invades Indiana you're supposed to be in the militia to defend the state okay but if you're being encroached on through political subdivision which all the states are now the state isn't giving you the federal government isn't giving you the protection after you file this affidavit it switches to the state and that is something that is relatively new in my thinking but what i have come to the conclusion of is that's the kind of the teeth we've been missing legally against with our state because they're not protecting you they're supposed to protect you from well for example any uh traffic laws that apply to residents you're not a resident anymore any legislative uh activity in your state that's target is residents uh you're not one of those anymore any state administrative agency and their targets are always residents don't apply to you anymore any federal agency with the exception of 26 cfr 1.1 1a 871b and 877b all the rest of that doesn't apply to you anymore and in my mind knowing and understanding this like i do that's the protection they're supposed to be affording you and and they're not only not affording it to you they're prosecuting and persecuting some of our people in some of these traffic courts okay so it's a this isn't a this isn't a choice they got it's a duty and a lawful obligation it is automatically invoked when you give allegiance, they automatically owe you protection, okay and well, so let's, let's give that's a, a kind that's well, that's just a kind of a new thing uh, uh in the last couple of weeks. I'm still noodling on it, but it sure seems like the teeth to me.
2: Well, let's say that uh, make it, I'm going to go back and I like to get, uh, try to reduce things to the fundamental simplicity of it. Here's what I see in all that for what it's worth. Uh, the the general government in Washington DC has a duty to protect our country to the extent that the constitution allows our country from foreign invasion yeah, no they're question. they're not, they're not doing
0: it. they're not doing a very damn no, good job
2: okay then then who has a a concurrent that means at the same time and to the same extent who has a concurrent uh, responsibility to protect us the from governor of the state invasion? the governor of the state. Well, but then that, yeah, okay, the governor of each state. Then uh, if the feds fail, then in our in our country, different than any other country in the world, we have 50 sovereignties, not just 50 states, 50 sovereign states, different countries, different countries. And each one of the governors of those states has an affirmative responsibility to protect the people within the terri- raw territorial boundaries of that state uh, from uh, invasion or damage by what? By the militia, by the militia of whom he is commander-in-chief. That's under the four militia clauses clauses of our Constitution and reinforced, of course, under the the provisions of state constitutions in every state uh, by their own choice. So we've got protection of everybody and the property, the life, liberty, and the property. And that's all you have in this life. You just have three things, life, liberty, and property. And uh, to the extent you lose any one of those, you will lose it to the other two. The three stand and fall together, no question. So the governor, uh, with by the force of the militia, has a duty to do that in each state. And the president of the United States has a duty to do that. Then the president of the United States, which is part of the general government, has a duty to ensure that every state seats a state legislature, and if force is necessary, the president of the United States, under the Constitution, under the Republican uh, Republican uh, government, well, Republican form clause, the Republican form of government, has a duty to ensure that, so that senators and congressmen can be sent to the general government in Washington D.C. We all, in every state, have a affirmative right to send. Uh, representatives to Washington, D.C., and the general government in Washington, D.C. has an affirmative duty to make sure that happens in case of um, of chaos within a state. That's all true. But uh, there is a responsibility in the Constitution of protection in a certain way. But, of course, that's very limited. The general government has limited powers, and the militia can only be... The president has concurrent jurisdiction over the militia of each state, by the way, concurrent with the govern- governor and whoever calls the militia out first or any part of the state militia out first has, uh, has authority and command over that, that, uh, those men, those men, not those women. I want to add that the Constitution and our tradition, our common law, give no place for women to take up arms as a member of the militia. Uh, That's a false notion that's all over our country. Uh, That needs to be squelched, and that displeases God immensely. If you want to know how our Puritan forefathers understood the militia, just go read the Bible. Read Numbers, the book of Numbers, and the book of Deuteronomy. And if you want it to be boiled down, go to www.commonlawyer.com and get a copy of the the book, The Militia of the Several States, Our Constitution's Answer to its Enemies, foreign and domestic, and in that book, it breaks down the four militia clauses of our Constitution and who has responsibility for what and how that works. The last of those militia clauses is well known, and is the only one that's known. That's called the Second Amendment. But there is a responsibility of protection. The state has an unlimited sovereign responsibility, by the way. The courts are unlimited. The state courts are unlimited. They can hear any case that has to do with anything within the territorial boundaries of the state. Uh, the general government in Washington, D.C., the Constitution of the United States, the militia of the several states are the ones that the people, it's called the, the people in our Constitution, that means the militia, is the one that has the duty uh, or has, has delivered the Constitution to us. It is the ratifiers that delivered the Constitution to us. Who, to us. Who's that? That's the militia of the several states. The ratifiers, not the founders of our country and the fathers. Of, no, no, don't, don't, don't go there. The ratifiers of the Constitution of the United States were the militia of the several states. That's who did it. Um, and they're the ones that put it in place. They're the ones that delegated those duties. And we, if we're born within the territorial boundaries of one of the states of the United States, then that has an effect upon us, however they set it up. If we don't like it, we can leave. That's true. If you don't like America, you can go someplace else and change your well, allegiance. But coming back, Roger. And, and um, if you don't like I'm,
0: federal I'm, citizenship, not. you can get rid of it.
2: Yeah. If you don't, <laughs> well, Roger, I say this, though, and we've, we've, I want to say it again. I don't believe any American has the citizenship the feds say they have. I don't care what they say. And I, th- I think it's important that we declare that. Well, We're yes. Na- we are nationals, but I don't believe it changes anything. It just affirms the truth. That's what we're after here, well,
0: the truth. Let me give you another example of this protection that we've come across. And I didn't realize mm-hmm. this. I didn't pay attention to voting for many years. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you can't register to vote as a national. Did you know that?
2: Well, why? Why? how does that work? Well, me?
0: I don't know. We're trying to find out. Well, <laughs> but
2: well, you can only vote. You can't say I'm a, You're, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, a U.S no that's
0: exactly correct they won't register you we're trying oh there's to no
2: it. option to check correct a citizen of the united states
0: correct so. but yet yeah. you're a state citizen the state's supposed to give you this protection in this formula and you can't even register to vote on the local people that have a direct effect on your lives because you can't participate
2: well let's back up roger and i'll ask some questions here so is it true That the Constitution of the United States references uh, citizenship of the United of the United States.
0: It does in the Fourteenth Amendment.
2: Okay, Uh, is there such a thing? Let me me ask this then, and put it this way: Is um, is being a citizen of one of the sovereign states of the United States uh, the prerequisite to be a citizen of the United States?
0: Uh, you're a national citizen, so yes, they're the true national citizens. It's the federal State. citizens that are only okay. out of this little. Remember, there was no federal citizenship before the Civil War. Those well, people that, means, yeah, that yeah, were born yeah, and raised yeah. in D.C. and the yeah. territories, as I think uh-huh. this through, w- with my understanding of it,
2: uh, uh-huh. they were stateless. R- the people in the territory, sure. They uh, well, and, in D- and in D.C., uh-huh. D. So they were citizens of what? They weren't citizens of
0: anything.
2: Well, they had to be. No, every man, every man... uh... Every man has to have an allegiance to to land. Well, that's right. Every man does, whether he understands it or not. Well, they were only
0: only a citizen if they were a state citizen. You were a a citizen of the United States of America. There was no federal citizenship. They had no political status except possibly territorial citizens, I guess. But but that (laughs) wasn't even there. I mean, in my mind, from what I've read and understand, they were
2: stateless. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, so they're stateless, but no man is without a country. That's what I am driving at. Well, no man. that's uh, the, impossible. And, and you, you can't can say that, right? Well, that's not true. Go ahead. You
0: can't tell me that everybody in the territories in the and DC were black either.
2: Well, let me back up, Roger. So, if you lived in the territory in the Northwest Territories, for example, right after the war between the states, to whom did a man that lived there owe his allegiance? To what land? To what? To what? Uh, you, you tell me, may I? Well, I will say one thing. Then I'll let Paul. He wants to pipe in. Yeah, he I say Paul. he owes his allegiance to the United States of America. Well, there As was
0: no United States. It was a national. It was the United States of America.
2: Well, he owes his allegiance to that to that set of laws and that land. That's well, he, he
0: would owe his allegiance to the Constitution, but he didn't have a political status except this territorial person. Paul, what do you got that you want to inject here?
2: Uh, I wouldn't go with that, Roger, but go ahead and we'll talk more later. Go ahead, Paul. Okay, well, the, the seat of the federal
1: government as it was was Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It wasn't Washington, D.C., Washington, D.C. didn't exist until the corners of three states were hacked off yep. and an imaginary line was drawn. So anybody that was born in the territorial boundary of the state under Washington, D.C., that's the state they would be the citizen of. And it was their They're not land. a citizen of D.C., the the, yeah, land of the, of the land for they not a citizen of
0: of DC. The land for DC was donated by two wealthy Catholic brothers uh, from Maryland, I believe. I don't remember their name.
2: They donated that
0: land. Right. Carol, what? What? Carol. There oh, you go. what
2: about anybody? Virginia. Virginia donated land too, didn't it?
0: I thought it was yeah, exclusively Virginia, out Maryland, of Maryland
2: and yeah. you no, know, nope, no. It, it's part of three states. They—they're right in the corner. They just hacked off the corner. Okay, that's what I understood too. And they—they they, in their magnanimity gave up the land to form this this square all turned up on its side the way the Frenchmen do everything and get it cattywampus to the world. <laughs> Ten miles square, I believe it was. And they said, "Oh, we're going to donate this, so we'll have a neutral place for this general government to be that won't be under the control of any state." That was the idea. What right. I understood. Right. Okay, but still, Roger, uh, a man that lives uh, in that uh, D.C. or a man that lives in the, uh, the territory of uh, Guam today, owes an allegiance
0: to the U.S. to a land,
2: to a land, and to a law. Right. And what is that land, and what is that law? That's, oh. my, that's my overarching principle that I see in the Bible, and I see it okay. in all of our common law. Well, well let me There's tell no you
0: that one of the bases that I'm using here is a a, a, a number of paragraphs out of the slaughterhouse cases. Uh And uh, it was, uh, remember, the Slaughterhouse Cases was in 1871. The 14th Uh Amendment was in 1868. Uh So Uh it's as if we were sitting here today talking about January 6th, a couple of years ago. We all experienced Uh it. We saw it. We've been in the after effects of it for these years, Uh right? Well, same thing Uh with these people in the Supreme Court. And they start Uh out that passage talking about Dred Scott. Okay, the the Uh recent Dred Scott decision, because it was recent in Uh those days and they Uh go, it was a subject of much discussion in the newspapers and political circles and in the journals. They even, uh-huh. And they say, because of Dred Scott, whether a man that was born in D.C. and in the territories was not only not a citizen of the United States of America, but could not become one except by an amendment to the Constitution. It's saying right there they were stateless.
2: Well there's well they may have been stateless. They may have been, sure, been under, they're stateless. The, under the Constitution. No, they're stateless. But they it. had no but political they, they had no political status. They had to, Roger. I don't I don't buy that. There's something wrong. And of course the Supreme Court saying something doesn't mean it's law and doesn't mean it's true. I don't go with that either. I find that the Supreme Court says a lot of screwy things and I mean anybody that would say that men can marry men. Uh, they got a screw loose someplace
0: well they weren 't saying <laughs> that back then, so this is a different time
2: well, but back then they were saying a lot of screwy things too 's been my observation, but ultimately, there has to a man owes an allegiance to a country and to law well
0: let 's put so it what, this what way it? they had no body where they had representation. The states had bodies where they get representation. By the way, this is also extremely interesting in Wikipedia of all places. If you go to Citizenship of the United States, Uh they got a long page there. The first couple of paragraphs are all about the 14th Amendment. And then they quote the 14th Amendment, the first part. And then in the paragraph underneath that, it says nationality status. And it goes in a paragraph and says, well, this can affect your taxation and this and that and the other. And what it really affects is you can't run for Senate. It doesn't say you can't run for House. It says you can't run Uh for Senate because Uh they changed the senators from being appointed by the state legislature to being popularly elected so they control them. And my feeling uh on that, and I've never heard anybody else say it, they always do multiple prong objectives when they do these major moves. And Uh I believe the reason they control the senators is because the Senate ratifies treaties. That's one of the reasons.
2: I'm back up, Roger. You say they could. Uh, this is people living in the territories. They no, this
0: a- people in the states. If you if you oh. have nationality status. Now, this is according to Wikipedia. Okay. Uh-huh. then the, it affects your ability to run for Senate. And I've never seen that before. I've never seen it since. I saw it right there oh. in that little paragraph. And uh-huh. I've thought through it a number of times as to why that uh-huh. could possibly be if it's true. Oh. And okay. and that would be, in my mind, one of the reasons uh-huh. they made that change is because uh-huh. the Senate ratifies treaties.
2: Well, yeah. Of course, the, if you live in a territory, you have— you send a congressman to Congress, right? He just He has the right of, of, according to the Constitution, he has the right to debate, right? But not, not to vote. vote. Isn't that what you understand? Yeah. Right.
0: American Samoa has got a representative in Congress, but they can't vote. Uh huh. Uh
2: huh. Okay. I get it. Well, but still, uh, I'm, well, I'm going back to this, and i want to look at this
0: I, 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 Back to where I was starting, shouldn't uh-huh. you be uh, have the ability as a true American citizen to participate in the elections, especially for the local and state officials that are supposed to give you protection? They won't even let you register.
2: Well, I know you're saying that now, and that's probably true. I wouldn't doubt that a bit. They don't give you an option. But I'm getting back to things I think I can deal with now, and that's the, the the people in the territories, they can vote. They can vote for president, vice president, and congressmen because that's the ones that they'll send to Washington, D.C. So they their, their allegiance is to a set of laws. Allegiance is always... To a, a land and a set of laws that govern that land—that's right. allegiance. It's not the government. It's not to men. It's to law. In our common law tradition, we have a law of the land, and that's why our oath for our ancient oath for militiamen is still the one we use today for people that hold office to defend the Constitution of the United States against enemies, foreign and domestic. Yeah. To defend the Constitution of the United States yes. against enemies, two to kinds. Foreign and domestic. Well, they're not upholding.
0: They're not upholding their darn oath too well. I can tell you that.
2: Well, that, that's another question. We'll get to that. Maybe if you want, we'll talk about that. That's good. But enemies foreign. That means that you're willing to take up arms as a member of the of the militia. You are a member. Are you willing to take up arms? Domestic means you're willing to serve on the jury in defense of the law of the land. And the the militia duty is, and our common law tradition is twofold jury duty in defense of the law of the land and taking up arms in defense of the land that's our fundamental defense that's our fundamental allegiance and that's our fundamental loyalty and according to god no man no man is without a country and those that say they are and if you'll notice that's the big push of the evil empire oh we're we're world citizens oh yeah all that hogwash. No, that's not true. God never planned it that way. God did not establish it that way. We are tribes and tongues and nations divided among lands, and I am to be loyal to this land because this is is the land I'm native of, and I've chosen to stay here, and I've chosen to be loyal to this land, and that includes a set of laws, and I believe that we in America, fully convinced that we in America have a law of the land, and it's the only true way to approach law. They have the same thing in Canada and in Britain and in Australia and New Zealand. They approach law as attached to land, and they call it the law of the land. Our Constitution of the United States says this is the law of the land, Article Chapter 6. Well, what is it? It's common law of government. But I wanted to go through... Uh, quickly, Roger, unless you want to jump in and change the subject. well, I want to stay on this subject a little bit. I myself, would say but, one thing.
0: Ahead. I would say one thing, and we're talking about allegiance for protection, and let's talk uh-huh. about American Samoa, okay? American Samoans owe total allegiance to the U.S. A national owes total allegiance to a small, less state. Okay. And, of course, oh, they yeah. use that. They use that to hide the national status and I can give you a couple of examples one of them's in IRS uh-huh. publication 519 okay and it uh-huh. makes this statement a national owes total allegiance to the US uh huh that's not true Question. they owe total allegiance to a small estate do you see what they're doing here is they take that little uh def- definer non-citizen and they take it away, just like in that IRS statement, because that statement mm-hmm. would be correct if it said a non-citizen national has total allegiance mm-hmm. to the U.S. Mm-hmm. But they take it out of there to fool you and to continue to hide this status. Paul, what were you going to say?
1: Question. Uh, did Samoa exist before the United States?
0: Yes, actually, Samoa is not American Samoa. Samoa is a pretty large little island compared to American Samoa. And American Samoa is to the east of Samoa. It's about, if you look at it on a map, it looks like an almond. And it's a little bitty almond island just okay. to the east of, Amer- of real Samoa. Okay, And what happened okay. there was the Samoa was a German territory back at the around the turn of last century and they had some battles about that down there especially with the locals and they came in and they gave uh, Samoa I guess independence but they gave American Samoa to the US and that's what they've used from the start intentionally because it's always been an unincorporated territory it shows you the planning they had in this in my mind on a timeline they didn't pull the trigger on that until the Nationality Act and nineteen forty. That's when they hid the state citizen okay. under this term national. But they had American Samoa set up as the only unincorporated territory in the system forty years before.
1: Okay. So so Samoa existed before Germany and before the United States. And Probably there was a fight for the land because somebody well, was attempting to take the land well, via conquest.
0: All the European powers so who went gained? down. Uh, all the European powers went down in that part of the world and got that territory. The French in the Polynesian islands and the Germans got Samoa somehow. I don't know the intricate history of it, but that was the situation when American Samoa became a U.S. territory.
3: Okay. Roger, I have something to share. Okay, For you?
0: Yeah. Um,
3: um, The Constitution, the Constitution 1789 was made for the United States of America. In eight, and the one for 1871, the... uh, February 21st, 18, 1871, is the one made for the United States government. Yeah. That changed the wording they changed the wording on the constitution data it says the constitution of the united states of america yep Yep.
0: that's the line of demarcation the 14th amendment folks i mean in my mind
3: so that yeah the february 21st 1871 is made for the united states government and the constitution is a new constitution is not the same one as but the one from 1789.
2: The, the one in 1789 didn't have the 13th and 14th. Now America. wait a minute, wait a minute. You're telling me that the constitution that's in the in the that you can go to Washington D.C. and see the original copy or one of the original copies, I should say. Uh, that's not the one. We're, that's not the one. They've redrafted that, and we're living yeah. under a different constitution. Pretty much, I, I, right? Yep. Well, it, no, that is it, totally. That is seven... totally. That is totally untrue. The Constitution of the United States is the Constitution of the United States. I don't care who redrafts it. I don't care who's, it's not, it does not have the force of law. Well, that's that's right. That's patriot mythology, and it's untrue. What we have to do, what we need to do is keep coming back to the Constitution and saying, no, no, this is what it says. There are people that try to rewrite the Bible, too. That doesn't mean that's the Bible. So we shouldn't say that this we're not living under the constitution. No, we are. And when the courts, when the courts reference the constitution, they reference the constitution that was originally put forth uh, and signed.
0: hold on, that's yeah. not Brent. That's not true. When Clarence that Tom- not true? Well, I'm well, going guess- to ta- show you right now. Okay, go ahead. When when Amy Cohn and Bryant was run through when Trump was under there and they uh, and they uh, uh, swore her in that night in the Rose Garden, Clarence Thomas swore her in. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I... A swore into the Constitution of the United States, not the Constitution of the United States of America. And Clarence Thomas knows the difference. I've heard him talk about it in front of the Harvard Law School students. And some one of those students asked him in that session, what do you do if it's a constitutional question versus an administrative question? And Clarence Thomas kind of giggled a little bit, and he said, well, if it's a constitutional question, we go do an in-run. Uh, and we go back to the Constitution. That's from Clarence well, Thomas.
2: Roger, I don't give two hoots and a holler what Clarence Thomas says. Or what, what they swear in by, that does not change the truth of the matter. No, but the it's a veneer. Matter, it doesn't change the fact but, the fact uh, of the matter is the Constitution of the United States has not changed. They no. can say anything they want, and it's my job to say no. Well That's it changed.
0: It, it changed in the respect that it put the fourteenth and thirteenth amendments. No, it didn't
2: there. change. The Constitution of the United States it says right at the beginning of the Constitution, the Constitution or Constitution for the United States of America. That's the that's the right. title that the Constitution gives. That has not changed. I agree
3: with Brent.
2: You see my point. Yeah, I agree uh, with I've, you. Well, I understand it. I, I'm not I'm not uh, complaining against what you or Roger are saying. I'm just asserting. No, we don't want to talk that way. Right. We, we don't want to say they right, changed exactly. the Constitution. No. no. You're fucking right into their trap. No,
0: no what you're we do, what
2: they want you to say, what we and do, you're on a rabbit trail. That, go
0: ahead. You no, know, we're on a rabbit trail. that says that doesn't apply to us. This original one applies to us, and you're right. Oh, but you got to so, claim it, or right, else exactly. the, the presumption is going to go forward because of this trick they've pulled of asking you those two right. darn questions all your life and okay. getting you to agree to it.
2: Okay, so. It's good. It's good that this came up because here's what we need to do. And I had not thought of this this way before. We need to say it just the way the Constitution says it. What it says, I'm looking at it right here. We the people of the United States, etc., in the preamble, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. It is the Constitution. For the United States of America. Right. And you don't hear right. that said a lot. And no, you don't. Uh, that's what it says also at the very top in the title Constitution for. United States of America. and so you make a good point. I'm glad you're in, in, right? my,
0: in my sample affidavit that we put out to the yeah. public at large, the first yeah. paragraph says I, Roger Sales, do solemnly swear under penalties of perjury the United States of America that I am a national with God given, constitutionally protected rights and not a citizen of the United States in a condition of voluntary servitude under the scope and purview of the 14th Amendment. It's specific.
2: Roger. Uh, yeah, I have it. a question.
0: And not never one of those uh, affidavits has been challenged, or any of that's been brought up from any federal authority. Okay, Sherry, was that Sherry?
3: It's me, Roger. yeah, to well, say that we need to use the 1789, which is well, correct? Well, like what Brent's yeah, saying. The
0: overall lesson here is you got to be darn specific with what you say and the words you use when you deal with yeah, these exactly. people. Okay, Sherry, what's your comment? Right,
3: right. <laughs> um, my question is, um, how does the Constitution change with the amendments? It doesn't. And the importance thereof of the amendments.
2: It doesn't change. It does not change. And anyone who says it does is part of the problem. Um, They try to change the Constitution, of course, try to make things inconsistent. That's the work of the evil empire. But we should not allow them to dictate how it's said. The words are important. Roger made this point. Um, Paul, did you start to say something? Uh, somebody yeah, Actually did. actually I did. Actually yeah, I did. The
1: seventeen eighty nine constitution, that is the Constitution, that is the law of the land. Correct. That is where it all started. Through the incorporation doctrine and the takeover, the the conversion of republic to corporate democracy, they filleted the original constitution and they rewrote one. That suited them in yeah. their corporate
2: capacity. Well, they, they do in that their administrative that through the court, through the court decisions too. Right, and they, this incorporation and doctrine is not in the Constitution. That's a an invention of the courts. Right, of course. After they were stacked. And you are
1: absolutely. I
0: correct. have another question. Hold regarding on, hold on, hold uh, on a minute, please. Hold
1: on and let the conversation <laughs> die down. Go, Paul. Jeez. You're absolutely correct, Brent. Rewriting the Bible doesn't make it a new Bible. No. Uh, yeah. A new interpretation of the Bible or a, or a new translation of the Bible doesn't change mm-hmm. the meaning of the Bible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But as far as the administrative state is concerned, when they rewrote the Constitution, they changed the Constitution, and they didn't. That's no, what we're they, going back to, 1789. Yeah, they, they
2: didn't rewrite the Constitution. That, you can't do that. That's like, that's mm-hmm. like Rome saying, well, the, the Bible's the Latin Vulgate. No, it isn't. Or the King James, the King James only crowd say, "No, the Bible's the King James Bible." No, it isn't. No, you no, you're you're rewriting it. Something that's not, not there. Uh, it's all right that you take those translations and use them. That's not the problem. Maybe they're good translations, but don't don't uh, say that somebody's rewritten the Bible. It can't happen. It's right. impossible. Right. Right. The course misinterpret, and that's what you're saying. I think ta- Right. It. Yeah, somebody exactly. Started to, somebody was tra- started. Sherry. Sherry's
0: chomping yeah. at the bit. To say, ask a question yeah. or say something. Come on, Sherry.
3: That's right. And what does the first ten amendments have to do with the Constitution? And you hang your hat on the second, the first, the third, the Mm -hmm. fourth, the fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth. Mm -hmm. If the amendments have nothing to do with the original Constitution, why are we hanging our hats on them? Well, let me because give you
2: because they do have something to do with it. Well, they've the, been uh, properly ratified, they're part of the Constitution, they are the Constitution. Okay, sure. They are Sherry, the law of the land.
0: Sherry yeah, brought up right. a real important point here, and what we found, you know, I got some really good students, okay? And they go off on their own and they do these projects. One of them is Devon, and he's written up to try and explain this to people a 49 60 page document or something that's on the website, people can get it. And and he sent it to me to uh, preview it, and make sure it was correct. And of course, I got my eyesight problems. And so he went back and recorded it and sent it to me in a recording. And in the middle of that, Brent, he went back and showed the 10 uh, Bill of Rights that had been altered by the 14th Amendment in this switch. And I'll give you a real good example Second Amendment. The Second Amendment in the original Constitution says those rights shouldn't be infringed. But now under the new Constitution, Scheme here, you've got to go get a license and permission to buy that firearm. But so it's Roger, not the original Second Amendment, yes, is it?
2: yes, it is, Roger. It's still there. Yes, it's impossible to alter what the Second well, Amendment says. Well, you didn't it's have. Impossible.
0: Well, you didn't have to go get a license to buy a gun before all the firearms laws the after Second 1933. The Second Amendment
2: has nothing to do with that, and just because people are stupid enough to go do that, well, and 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 give credence to that idea, and you and, go along with them, well, you do those things you're giving credence well, to that idea and
0: that's why this example with Maryland and Kentucky is so important she got contacted the FBI and they said we got nothing to do with this well hell they're trying to get every damn gun in the country by the they way they
2: know what they're doing right. by the well they're yet.
0: following direction of Zionist Jews because they can't stand us to have guns and defend ourselves a couple of things here is getting towards the end of the show <laughs> today um, yeah. uh, for uh, 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 intelligence officer uh, this Retired that has come out. There are virtually no weapons or ammunition in any National Guard armories today. They've all been shipped to the Ukraine and they're going to Israel now. Okay. Well, that's
2: another matter. Uh, last, last week. week oh,
0: hold on. Yeah, me too. Me too. Last week, in Biden's speech to the nation, they're reinstituting the draft. Because they want, they yeah, got an oh, army oh. full of faggots now, and the, and traitors, and they want to, and they want to come drag your kids out and go send them to Satan's sandbox to fight their war on Iran. Okay,
3: Let's get well, back to I fun. Fun. I okay, a point,
0: point. Let me <laughs> button it up. <laughs> okay. That affidavit takes your children yeah. out of that position. They can't draft them. Okay.
2: Okay. All right. Well, I I don't want to. Don't want to not give you free reign to talk, so I want to make sure you're done. Yeah, we're, I'm, done. I'm done. We're getting toward the end of the hour, and we want to get our get our points in, and uh, then we're out of time. But uh, oh, I, I want to share
3: something quick, too, what? please.
2: <laughs> yeah, go ahead.
3: I just wanted to say for our affidavits, uh, Roger, we need to make sure we say four. So, you know, the Constitution. If we're going to say anything about the Constitution, we have to say four. I just, I just said
0: constitutionally protected capital our rights. Boom. Okay. Brent, Roger.
3: Yeah.
2: Oh
0: yes. Yeah. Who was that?
2: Sketch. Yes. I. There. There might not be two constitutions, but there are two titles. One was for, and one was of. Of is possessive. Question is who? 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 Who is it possessive of? Well, also of 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 also is in the ablative case. And it can be a ablative of source from the Constitution, from the United States, which is valid also. But but I'm not convinced that what you're saying is true, that there's two, two, um, two texts there. There's a variation, I don't believe there is. It says Constitution for the United States, as far as I know. But either way, either way, it's true, I suppose. That doesn't change anything. It doesn't have to be possessive. No, that's not necessarily true. So it can also be ablative of source and probably would be understood that way. Yep. Roger, we've got a few minutes left. I'd like to go through if you think it's okay. You better do it quick. Read, read, the, read the, the, the references in our Constitution to the word citizen. There's not that many. Article 4, Section 2, Clause 1 says, The citizens of each state shall be entitled to all the privileges and the immunities of the citizens of the several states. That's the first reference to the word citizen. And then we get... From there, you jump all the way, Roger, all the way to the Fourteenth Amendment right. before you hear anything about citizens. Right. In other words, the Constitution of the United States doesn't say much about citizens, and uh, unfortunately, it says something about it, but it doesn't define what they are. But that's normal for our Constitution. Our Constitution defines nothing. Right. Well, our you... Constitution is a brief of common law government, so we can't expect it to mm-hmm. really say anything about well, it. Well, yeah, it... it does reference. Go let, ahead.
0: Me, let me give you a case out of just a story okay just a story's commentaries on the constitution uh-huh. and in that uh-huh. document he makes this statement this is in the early 1800s a state a uh-huh. citizen of a state is ipso facto a citizen of the united states now there was okay. no there was no contention at that time because there was no differentiation there was only one A state citizen. There was no federal citizenship yet. Yet Story offhandedly used the United States instead of the United States
2: of America in that statement. And also to add to that, Roger, nobody back then for years ever mentioned the idea of a federal government in America. They didn't talk they didn't use that word. It was the general government in Washington DC. Correct. That was the best word they could find to describe it. Uh, Justice story it did say quite a few things about that. And uh, I wanted to see if I could grab one of them here. I'm looking at uh, common lawyer comments uh, on the Constitution and Declaration of 76, clause by clause and blow by blow. And uh, Justice story, of course, says about the, has a lot to say about the Second Amendment. Uh, I'm not finding it here. I thought I would find it. Oh, here it is. Uh, no, that's not it. But just a story somebody can read. And then Brent, that his commentaries on the Constitution are worth reading. Go ahead. Yes.
1: Go ahead, Brent. Paul. When can we go back to an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? <laughs> I want you to talk about Magna Carta. <laughs> the Magna Carta. Uh, talk about your Magna Carta class in commonlawyer.com. You only got a couple of minutes. I'm I'm sorry, this has been a, a barn burner of uh discussion. But uh, go ahead and uh, talk uh-huh. about yourself for a minute. Uh,
2: well, eye for eye and tooth for tooth is uh, the old uh, ancient concept in Latin. It's called lex talionis, lex talionis, the law of retaliation. And the law of retaliation has always been, is still, the, and it's the basis of our Consti- eighth amendment constitutions. <laughs> the eighth amendment of our constitutions prohibition against cruel and un- unusual punishment. Is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's what that is. In other words, the punishment should not exceed the mag- magnitude of the crime. The punishment should equal the magnitude of the crime, or approximate it at least. So that's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. If I if I kill a man, the uh, the law says that I must be tried for that murder. And if I'm convicted, then I must give up my life. I must die, taking a life, liberty, and property uh, all in one swoop. As I'd said a while ago, if you uh, diminish life liberty or property either one of those three you diminish the other two to the same degree that's that's why those are important to keep in mind it's the simplicity of our law life liberty and property but uh you can go to commonlawyer.com www.commonlawyer.com and you'll uh you can click on uh, the media button you can go to church with us on sunday morning you can see me and hear me, hear me, but I can't see nor hear you. A Saturday morning, we do the same thing. We're going through the book of Romans, clause by clause, on Saturday morning. The book of Genesis, clause by clause, on Sunday morning. You can go to commonlawyer.com and find out how to do that. You can join us for the Magna Carta class, clause by clause and blow by blow. This common lawyer likes to do things clause by clause and blow by blow. That way it keeps me from hobby horsing as much. And uh, you get the whole council there. We do that in the Bible. We do it with Magna Carta. Magna Carta is not the beginning of our common law, but it is a solid stepping stone in the long and ancient history of our common law that is lost in the fog of antiquity before we get back to the men that wrote the Bible. The, the trace is lost, but Magna Carta is a fo- solid step, stepping stone. Join us for that course, and when you do that, you can get a benefit. We want you to join us in what we do, and what we want you to do is join us in getting the word out, and you can't do that unless you go to law school a little bit. God wants for his people to understand his will. That's the bottom line. And his will, he calls his law, his Torah, the way pointed out with the index finger, the way, the course of process. We call it due process, how we go about doing things, not the outcome standards. That's not our jurisdiction. Our jurisdiction is to be fair and to follow due process no matter what we do. And we'll come to the right conclusion, says the Bible, if we do that. And our common law says that good process brings a good result. and uh, No due process, uh, no good result. We're not going to trust the result. So join us for our common law class. Go get the books. Um, The common lawyer translates and annotates the Bible from the original tongues with all the footnotes, notes, and the appendices